This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Yankees won yesterday. The Mets won yesterday. The Mets also lost yesterday. And uh, that's where we begin the program. Glad to have you aboard. one 800 As always, that is the number to call. Uh, Yankees looking for the sweep of the Kansas City Royals later today. A 135 start at Yankee Stadium. Yankees have taken care of business so far. They've done exactly what they need to do. Finally, the Kansas City Royals coming to the Bronx, exactly what the Yankees needed as they had limped home from their 1-5 trip out west to begin the second half of the season. And for the Mets, meanwhile, they just continue to run in place. And look, it's not the end of the world that they split the doubleheader yesterday. Uh, Really what the Mets need to do is they just need to keep winning series. They pretty much need to win every single series from now until the end of the season. And even that might not be enough to get them into the playoffs, but that at least gives them the chance. The big question for the Mets, do they have that capability? And a bigger question is, do they have that capability if Max Scherzer is going to give you the kind of performance that he gave you yesterday? And the answer, for me anyway, to that question is no. So, you know, you could talk about Alonzo's bat coming around and, you know, Lindor, his average getting up and continuing to put the power numbers up that he has. And you could talk about maybe Jeff McNeil finally turning his season around. He had a Little League home run yesterday, which was kind of funny. You could talk about anything you want with the lineup. You could talk about adding a piece to the bullpen. You could talk about Justin Verlander, who's been good. You know, like, let's call it what it is. Let's no longer... I know Verlander and Scherzer are supposed to be the co-aces on top of the rotation. They have the exact same salary. They're at pretty much the exact same point in their careers. So we tend to, you know, link the two. Scherzer and Verlander, Verlander and Scherzer, whatever. That's not how it has played out this year. Verlander, for the most part, has done his job. And he's pitching very well right now. And Scherzer has not. And look, this is what happens when you have 38, 39, 40-year-old, especially pitchers. At some point, they lose that high level of productivity. And the older you get, the longer you get into your career, it happens quicker. And I believe that's what we're seeing right before our eyes with Max Scherzer. Was it a worthwhile gamble when they signed him to that three-year, $130 million contract before last season? It was because look at how he pitched last season. He was awesome last season. But then he ran out of gas at the end of the regular season, and he had one bad start in the playoffs at the most inopportune time and in the blink of an eye the Mets season was over and he really hasn't gotten back to the level he was at during the regular season last year so you can look at anything else on this Mets roster you know the hitting the bullpen guys coming around if Scherzer is going to do what he did yesterday it's a moot point it really is that being said look a couple of bright spots for the Mets This is a huge game tonight because, like I said, you have to win this series. So winning the series, even though you lost yesterday in ugly fashion in the, uh, I guess, game two of the split doubleheader at Fenway Park, even though you lost yesterday, winning the series, which is the goal from now through the end of the season, is still on the table. It's still a possibility tonight as you send Carlos Carrasco to the mound against Brennan Bernardino of the Boston Red Sox. You can hear that game right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Uh, First pitch a little after 7 o'clock. So that's still on the table, which is important. The other thing about the Mets is this, and and 
This is something that I have been eyeing for weeks because you have to just look at, you can't just look at the play of the team that we're analyzing, whether it be the Yankees or the Mets. You have to look at what needs to happen for them to get into playoff position. And for the Mets, one of the things that needs to happen is they got to jump over a whole bunch of teams. One, two, three, four. They got to jump over five teams. So it's not just about that seven game back in the uh, wild card race, seven games back. It's about jumping over five teams in addition to them. But something that I always thought was a possibility for this team, and it's actually happening. I wasn't completely sold on a handful of teams ahead of the Mets in the National League wild card race. I wasn't sold on the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're a nice story. They're young and they're athletic. We saw the Mets go out there to Arizona last uh, earlier this month and beat up on the Diamondbacks. Um, I wasn't sold on the San Francisco Giants, and they're starting to come back to the pack. The Cincinnati Reds, they're starting to come back. The Miami Marlins, they're cratering. They've lost eight games in a row, and they were 12 games above 500 at one point, and now they're down to six games above 500. So that's happening for the Mets. They just need to continue winning series. It is as simple as that. And getting that win yesterday, because that was the first game after the rain suspended the game on Friday night, and then you come back the next day and you lose Kodai Senga, who pitched three and a third innings on Friday night and then wasn't available when the game was resumed on Saturday. That was a concern because the Mets' bullpen is always a concern. And for the Mets' bullpen to get them home by giving them nearly six innings was a terrific job. And it was a huge lift for that team yesterday. But then they turned around and you had a chance to really kind of, you know, solidify your series victory already. And you hand the ball to Max Scherzer and he couldn't get it done. And, and, and Scherzer, his numbers now in the month of July, Max Scherzer is pitching to an ERA of 5.25 in four starts in July. And unfortunately, it's it's been the same old story for Max Scherzer. And it's been the same old story for the Mets. Even more so than the Yankees. Because the Yankees have had, you know, dramatic peaks and valleys. It seems like the Mets have been running in place for two months now. You know, they had that nice little spurt at the very beginning of July. Remember, they had the disastrous June. They fell to 10 games below 500. At one point, they were 10 games back in the National League wild card race. And then the calendar flipped to July, and they ran off six straight wins. But ever since then, they lost the last two games before the All-Star break to the Padres. And then out of the break, you lose two out of three to the Dodgers. You beat the White Sox two out of three. Now you've split two games with the Red Sox. If you're seven games back, okay, you are not going to make up ground by being a 500 team. And that's why I know it was, and I say I made this point on Friday night, I know it was one game. And in baseball, baseball has always been the one sport, right? It's not, it's not the NFL. It's not college football where one game has so much meaning. Every game has so much meaning. Over the course of 162 games in baseball, that's never been the case in this sport. However, it becomes the case when the Mets have now played 98 games. So they have 64 games remaining, and they have to make up seven games in the standings. So at this point in the season, because of the hole that they have dug themselves in, each game holds that much more importance. And I'm looking specifically at the game 
against the White Sox on Thursday when the Mets handily, I shouldn't say handily because the first game got real dicey, the Tuesday night game when they held on to win 11-10, to but the Mets did what they needed to do in the first two games against the White Sox. They beat up on a bad team. The White Sox are a bad team. They're 18 games below 500. And then a sloppy game at Citi Field on Thursday afternoon, and all of a sudden, that's a game that you could have banked away. You know, in the event that you don't win a series. Because the Boston Red Sox, for example, that you're playing this weekend are a good team. They're not going to roll over. They're tied with the Yankees. They're in their own race for the wild card in their league. And they're a team that can hit. So you're not going to win every series. So what you could do to help yourself in that cause is you could really, it's when, when you're playing a team like the White Sox or the Royals, it's not about winning that series. It's about sweeping them. And they were unable to do that. And Mets fans know this. That's been a problem with this franchise for years. I mean, that's been a problem with this franchise going back to, you know, the collapses under Willie Randolph and Jerry Manuel in 2007 and 2008. How many times over the years have the Mets won the first two games of a series and in the final game kind of no-show? And... Those losses add up, and that White Sox loss um, was in that category. So, again, it's one game. It's over. Uh, so far, Fenway Park, they split the first two games against the Red Sox, and we'll see about tonight. The Yankees are in that same boat, right? Yankees can't afford it. Has it been easy for the Yankees, these two games against the Royals? No. I mean, I don't think you look at the Yankees right now. It's great that they won these two games, Okay. Um, the Yankees are now, they, they made up two games in the standings the last two days. The Blue Jays have lost two in a row. The Yankees have now won two in a row against the Royals. So they're two games back. They're tied with the Red Sox. And again, two games out of the final wild card spot in the American League. But does the Yankees' performance against a Royals team that is on pace to win like 50 games, does it give you a lot of confidence that everything is fixed and cured and turned around? It doesn't. But it's got to start somewhere for this Yankees team. And for the Yankees, it's all about biding their time until Judge gets back. And the Yankees, up until the All-Star break, had done a pretty good job of playing about 500 baseball without Judge. Which I don't know with the construction of this team and this lineup and how they're performing. I don't know that you can expect much more than 500 from this group without Aaron Judge however long that seems to last. And it might last to the end of the season, Judge being out. And if it does last until the end of the season, then, again, it's a moot point, just like with the Mets. If Scherzer isn't going to give you more than what he gave you yesterday, then there's really no point in analyzing the rest of the season or their chances because they have no chance. Same thing with the Yankees. If Judge doesn't come back, then it doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter because – what would have to happen then is LeMahieu would have to revert to the 2019-2020 version of DJ LeMahieu, and Stanton would have to revert to the 2017 Miami Marlins version of Giancarlo Stanton, and Carlos Rodon would have to be the equal of what the Yankees have gotten from Garrett Cole, a bona fide ace at the top of the rotation, and those things aren't happening. Those aren't happening. So if Judge doesn't come back, then, eh, you know, the Yankees' best hope right now is to continue to hold on and play near 500 baseball without Aaron Judge. And they were doing that up until the All-Star break. And they come out of the break and they go 1-5. and five. Now they're 3-5 and five since the break with these last two wins over the Royals. But it hasn't been easy. Cole pitched well again yesterday. You'd like to see more length from Cole. 
you know, he seems to be settled into that six inning, six and a third inning. That's what he gets yeah, every game. It's always a very quality six innings, six and a third innings. But you'd like to see him go seven. You'd like to see him go seven and a third. But that doesn't seem to be in the plan right now. It puts a lot. The Yankees bullpen, they put a lot of responsibility on that group. And that group has shown some signs of cracking lately. They're a good group. They're a good bullpen group. They're not a great bullpen group. So if there's ever a day through the rotation where you could kind of ease off the gas a little and not rely on those guys so heavily, you would think it would be when Garrett Cole starts. But even yesterday, the bullpen had to get the final eight outs of the game in a close game. They came in in a close game. And that's what I mean by the Yankees. Yeah, they've taken care of business and they've won these first two games, but it hasn't been overly impressive. You know, they had to hold on for dear life on Friday night and get a review, which on a play that shouldn't have been reviewed because the umpire at third base on the final out on Friday night blatantly missed the call. But still, it was a one-run game, and that had the chance of going sideways on the Yankees. They held on for dear life, and they beat the Royals on Friday night. And yesterday, they're tied 2-2 two to two in the seventh, and then LeMahieu hits a big home run to make it 3-2, to two, and then Stanton hits a big two-run home run in the eighth inning to make it 5-2, to two, and the Yankees win. And somewhat quietly, somewhat quietly, Giancarlo Stanton over his last 10 games has six home runs and 13 RBIs. That's excellent production. During those 10 games, he has raised his OPS from 656 to 732. First of all, Giancarlo Stanton with a 656 OPS in July is just unfathomable. But that's what he had. You know, the major league average is around like 740, 750. He was at 656. So... I mean, that factors in slugging percentage. If Stanton's not going to have a high slugging percentage, then I don't know what you're getting from him. But they picked up two games on Toronto, which is important. Stanton needs to carry this team. He's the first name you look at. Torres has been good. LeMayu has been a little bit better. I still don't know what's going on with Anthony Rizzo. But Stanton can carry a team. He's done it before. He's done it for the Yankees before. You know, Yankee fans forget this, but in Stanton's first year, as the Yankee in 2018, Judge was hit on the hand by a fastball by a Royals pitcher, missed about a month to two months in the second half of the season. And Stanton carried the Yankees into the playoffs that year. Now, he was bad in the playoffs, so that's really all Yankee fans remember. But he has carried this team before. He's carried them during the playoffs, too, outside of that first year when he was bad in the 2018 ALDS against the Red Sox. Stanton's been really good in the postseason for the Yankees. But he's also getting up there in age. And look, he's already had his two-month stint on the injured list. And as I laid out last week, every time he goes on the injured list, every single year it takes a little bit longer for her, him to get back into form. Now, is he back in form right now? It seems like he might be. Six home runs, 13 RBIs in his last 10 games. That's excellent production. So the Yankees so far this weekend have they've, they haven't knocked your socks off. They haven't been overly impressive. It's nice to sit here on a Sunday morning. It's odd to sit here on a Sunday morning. I've been doing it a lot this summer or a Saturday morning. And just, you know, the litany of things wrong with both the Yankees and the Mets. It, it, the, the list seems a little bit shorter today, both of those lists. Maybe you disagree. You know, maybe there's still a lot of nits that you want to pick out there. And believe me, there are plenty. And, and I realize that. But it has a different feeling. Um, the Yankees coming off two straight wins. The Mets tonight with a chance to win a series on the road against a quality opponent. But this has to be the norm for the rest of the season if there's going to be October baseball in New York. 
because that still seems like a very long shot. The Yankees haven't done anything significant this weekend to change my mind about who they are as a team or what their chances could be. But this could be the start of something. And look, these two wins are two more wins that they're able to bank in the hopes that Aaron Judge can come back and carry them down the stretch run of the season because that is still the hope. So we'll get to your calls. We'll hear from both Yankees and the Mets. Um, and obviously plenty of football conversation today as well. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on a Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Set the baseball lineup for you today. The Yankees look for the three-game sweep against the Royals. 135 first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Luis Severino on the mound coming off a very strong start in Anaheim as the Yankees were swept that series, but it was a much-needed good effort for Severino. Uh, Jordan Lyles pitches for the Kansas City Royals. Yankees have won the first two games, not overly impressively, but they won them nonetheless. And the Mets at the Red Sox, that's the Sunday night game, the ESPN game, and that'll be Carlos Carrasco pitching for the Mets. And he's got a 3-3 three and three record and a 5.35 earned run average um, as the uh, Mets look to salvage the final game against the Boston Red Sox, the rubber match. Now, last night in the second game of the split doubleheader because of the rain, Mets had a chance. They went up against the former Yankee, uh, James Paxton, who shut him down over six innings, allowing just two earned runs and striking out seven. You could add Paxton to the long list of pitchers who were good before they got to the Bronx, underachieved in the Bronx, and then went elsewhere and went on to solid or, in some case, spectacular careers. Paxton's having a nice season. He's 6-2. and two. He's got a 3.46 ERA for the Red Sox. You know, Nathan Evaldi, Sonny Gray, uh, even Bartolo Colon back in the day, um, among other pitchers who have followed similar paths to what Paxton is doing right now. Scherzer, meanwhile, didn't really give the Mets a chance to win. Uh, four home runs allowed. Four home runs allowed in six innings. And that's been his problem this year is allowing the home runs. And uh, gave up five earned runs in total. I guess the, the one bright spot, there weren't a ton of men on base when he was giving up those home runs. The Red Sox can hit. The Red Sox, they've always been able to hit. And this Red Sox team can hit as well. They could be a dangerous team if they can get just a little bit of pitching which they did yesterday from Paxton. Uh, let's hear from Scherzer first on the home runs that he gave up yesterday. Well, it's just execution. You know, like I said, you know, two the Cassis homers, I got to execute better. I absolutely have to execute better. I got to get to those up and in quadrants better. Um, th that's that's easy to diagnose. Like I said, the Chang homer, that's a was a bad. You know, like, it's just part of the rule the game this year. Like you can't check out of a pitch. So. That one doesn't bug me, and, and same thing on Duran. Like that's not a. You know, obviously, you, you know, you, you got good wood to it. I'd like to get it lower, obviously. Uh, like I'm not just gonna lose sleep over a bad pitch because it's actually, you know, my curveball's been really good this year. I got it down in. I needed it one more click down. You know, most likely that's a foul ball in a lot of different situations. But like I said, you know, Fenway Park, it's a homer here. Um, it is what it is. You know, Scherzer has always been one of my favorite athletes to watch favorite athletes to cover to follow he just I, I've always loved his mentality he's had an incredible career you know he is I know the word competitor is thrown around a lot but Scherzer 
I, I don't know if I can think of a more competitive guy on a baseball diamond than Scherzer has been throughout the course of his career. And he's a stand-up guy. You know, he's always at his locker. It's been a rough season for him. And like I said, when it happens, it happens pretty quickly. Like we saw it happen with uh, in football. We saw it happen with Tom Brady last year, where by the end, all of a sudden, you know, a year, two years removed from winning the Super Bowl and thinking that this guy was invincible, he gets into his, in Brady's case, mid-40s, and all of a sudden he's just another guy. We saw it happen at the end of Peyton Manning's career, and it happened pretty quickly. Remember, Peyton Manning went to Denver. His first year there, when they went to the Super Bowl and were blown out by the Seahawks, Peyton Manning set all sorts of passing records, and he had found the fountain of youth, and he was revolutionizing the offense and everything like that. Two years later, yeah, they won the Super Bowl in his final year, but he was a shell of himself. It happens, and, and I think, unfortunately, we're seeing it happen with Max Scherzer right now because what you just heard from Max Scherzer is what we have heard from him all season long. Excuses, I mean, I, you know, I, I, Max Scherzer has never been an excuse maker. It sounds like excuses, though. Um, he's trying to explain it, so I understand what he's doing. And for me, Scherzer gets the benefit of the doubt because who he has been his entire career, both as a competitor and a stand-up guy. But you're talking about a guy who has performed at a high level, the highest level. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a multiple-time Cy Young Award winner. We know the accolades, and we know the resume for Max Scherzer. Um, but he doesn't have any answers right now for what's going on. And that just tells me that, we're seeing the beginning of the end for Max Scherzer. Here's Buck Showalter, Scherzer's manager, on Max's performance last night. No, in my list of uh, things, you know, Max seems to always have a way of figuring things out and being and being there for us and competing. Been doing it for a long time. I don't. Uh, every once in a while, the other team's pretty good too. But uh, you know, we've done a good job of uh, holding them down for the most part. We uh, weren't able to do it there, obviously. No, I, you know, Max is uh, he's a uh, he's hard on himself in a good way, but uh, I know I trust. Now, earlier in the game, the Mets had an opportunity. Scherzer gave up two home runs. Mets were down two to nothing. And then in the fourth inning with a couple of runners on, a comedy of errors for the Boston Red Sox resulted in Jeff McNeil circling the bases on a single to center field, uh, a comedy of errors leading to a little league home run, and that gave the Mets a 3-2 to two lead. So a huge break there for the Mets. And you heard Scherzer talk about the home run in the fifth inning by Chang. That tied it at three. And then the two-run home run in the sixth inning put the Red Sox ahead to stay. Uh, but after the McNeil Little League home run, very unique in Major League Baseball, the Mets had a chance to go for the sweep yesterday against those Boston Red Sox. Here's, uh, here's McNeil on that sequence of events. I don't hit a lot of regular homers, so you know, it's a little bit different. I think you know that's probably my first... You know, Little League home run probably since Little League. So it was, you know, it was a fun, fun moment. I wish we, uh, you know, won the game, but, um, you know, pretty cool moment. Common in Little League, not so in the majors. And that's really uh, until the end when the Mets scored three runs off the Red Sox bullpen in the ninth inning when the game was already 8-3 to three and decided, yes, they did make it interesting in the top of the ninth inning getting with an 8-6. But that, for all intents and purposes, uh, ended the Mets' night when Scherzer allowed those uh, other two home runs after the uh, the Little League home run by, by Jeff McNeil. So the Mets try to win the series tonight, and then it's on to the Subway Series in the Bronx. Both Yankees and Mets will be off um, tomorrow. Subway Series on Tuesday and Wednesday at Yankee Stadium. They split the first uh, edition of that back in June, and then away they go. Uh, it's the stretch run for both teams now, and they both have a lot of work to do. 
to get into the postseason. 1-800-919-3776. We'll take a quick break here. Um, we'll get to your calls and plenty more on this Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7, Today is the induction ceremony for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, all Hall of Fames, whether it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Over the years, the prestige of being inducted into one of those Halls of Fame has been so unbelievably diminished in my mind. And I hate this narrative every year, but it's necessary, I feel. And every year, it seems, when you see who the new class of inductees is into a particular Hall of Fame, I'm just left completely underwhelmed. And in all cases, the people going into the Hall of Fame had terrific careers, long careers, all-star players, maybe some championships, some home run titles, maybe some batting titles, gold gloves, terrific players in their own right in most cases, but not Hall of Famers. And I hate reigning, I hate being the guy reigning on people's parade on what is probably the best day of their life. I mean, think about how special that must be to be in Cooperstown, New York, surrounded by the greatest players in the history of baseball and to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in front of them. And, and this year is more of the same for me. And I hate doing this, but it's necessary. Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland are both going into the Hall of Fame today. The Hall of Fame. Neither of those two guys are Hall of Famers. I'm sorry. Neither of those two guys had Hall of Fame careers. Multiple-time All-Stars, yes. Played on good teams, yes. Winning players, above-average players, McGriff hit 490-something home runs. Roland had a ton of gold gloves. They're not Hall of Fame players. I'll tell you, you got to go back to 2020. The last time somebody was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame that, for me, was like, yeah, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. The last one was Derek Jeter. You know, McGriff and Roland, no. Last year, David Ortiz. How? Don't get me started on that. How is David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame and A-Rod and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens don't even get considered. That's ridiculous. It's been four years since a deserving guy went into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and it was Derek Jeter in 2020. And this isn't, you know, you know, 20. This isn't just because oh, he's a Yankee. It was, it was, it was Derek Jeter. Um, you know, 2019, you had Roy Halladay, Hall of Famer, uh, Mariana Rivera, Hall of Famer, but you also had Harold Baines and Lee Smith. And I felt so bad for Harold Baines because I think Harold Baines, that's the one name that everybody, Harold Baines was like a, a designated hitter and he was like a career 280 hitter. How is that a Hall of Famer? But I felt bad because here he is up on the stage next to Mariano Rivera who got 100% um, votes, the only one to ever do it, and all everybody's saying is, what the hell is Harold Baines doing up there? Anyway, it, it's a shame. And it's not just baseball. It's football. You know, this year's Pro Football Hall of Fame class that is being inducted next week, including two Jets, is underwhelming in my opinion. You know, I don't know that you need nine guys to go in every year into the Pro Football Hall of Fame when, you know, seven of them you have to think, well, were they a Hall of Famer? Was Zach Thomas really a Hall of Famer? I don't know. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Richard in Manhattan. Hey, Richard. 
Hi, Pat. Pat, the Yankees won yesterday, and that's good. And Boone, the way he uses his bullpen, his pitches, I don't understand. Cole goes 99 pitches, one walk, six hits. He gets the first out of the seventh inning. Let him go to the end of the seventh if he can get it out with nine pitches. Let him go to 108 to 110 pitches max. That may be two batters. That may go seven innings. That's fine. So he brings in Peralta for two outs, four pitches. Leave him in. Let him go. Maybe he can go to the eighth. No, he takes him out, uses Canely, 14 pitches. And then Holmes, ninth inning, 29 pitches. So he used, my point is he uses four pitches where this was an opportunity to probably use two pitches. You could have gotten by with Cole and Peralta. Why burn out the bullpen? I don't understand. That they're so cognizant of the pitch count for the starting pitcher, yet they don't care how many relief pitches they use to, to close the game. Four pitches in a game like that is ridiculous when you didn't have to. Now, I understand. If Cole had given up a walk or a base hit before they took him out, all right, maybe he's losing it. They see something. He just got the guy out. And then Peralta, four pitches. How do you use a guy for four pitches and then let him, not let him continue? I don't understand it. We got the win, but this, this is a big problem, in my opinion. He overuses his bullpen when he doesn't have to. Now, I'm not saying if the guy gets shelled and got, of course you have to take him out if he's not. But you're making all these changes when you don't have to. I don't see it. I don't see it. I'll never understand it. What, you know, sometimes you, Pat, make, you get you up make, in the morning you're making, and you go to. You're making a good point. Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Well, I, Pat, I, I, you I, go I to the gym. Some days you feel like you can do 150 on the bench, some days 120. What do you so bench? You don't Richard? test this. Right? You feel good. If Peralta's pitching good, if Cole is pitching good, leave them in there until you, they're not pitching good. I don't understand it. I really don't, Pat. Maybe Rich, you can explain it to me. I'll, I'll do my best, Richard. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Richard's the best. Uh, it, it, it's not a bad point, but it, it's not just Boone. It's baseball. I don't agree with it, but that's how everybody seems to manage. And the, the Cole part for me is the one. You know, Peralta four pitches – that's all about Peralta's probably their best and most reliable relief pitcher. So if you can get through a certain situation with him having thrown four pitches, if he, th- if he comes out for the eighth inning and, you know, he adds another, let's say, 15 pitches and now he's at 20, that probably eliminates him for today. Or he pitched on Friday, so maybe they didn't want to push him further than that. But for, for me, it is Cole. And that's the one, and I'm not putting this on Cole 100%. I do think... He should be part of the conversation, although maybe that's just me being naive. But I think Garrett Cole should give the Yankees more length than he does. You know, 99 pitches, six and a third innings. And it's not like he was facing an overly taxing lineup yesterday. He was facing the Kansas City Royals. You know, last Sunday, that wild game where the Yankees blew two two-run leads late and lost to the uh, Colorado Rockies in 11 you know, Cole threw 102 pitches and threw six innings. Again, against a weak lineup. Now, the reason the pitch count is so high is because Cole strikes out a lot of batters. He had 10 strikeouts yesterday. He had 11 strikeouts in his previous start. But at what point did a – you know, I understand that, you know, when David Cohn used to throw 170, 160 pitches, you don't want that anymore, and we're, we don't have that anymore. But I don't understand when the number became 100. You know, for – 
a big, strong guy like Garrett Cole, an ace like Garrett Cole, especially at this point in the season. You know, this isn't April where the weather is crummy and you're still stretching yourself out and you're still trying to find your rhythm of the season. Like, we are in the heart of the season right now. So I, I don't understand why 100 really seems to be the cap on a guy like Garrett Cole. I'm not saying this for all pitchers, but Garrett Cole is your best. I even go back to the playoff game last year at Yankee Stadium, game three against the Astros, when Bader and Judge had that terrible miscue in the outfield that opened the floodgates, and the Astros won a game that was there for the taking for the Yankees and really changed the complexion of that entire series. But Cole came out, what was it, the sixth inning? With the bases loaded for Lou Trevino. I don't understand under what circumstance you would feel more comfortable with your season on the line with Lou Trevino on the mound than with Garrett Cole. And it was a big, big topic of conversation. I remember Michael Kay had some strong comments about it. And uh, he wasn't the only one. But that seems to be the norm, how they operate with him. I mean, look at Cole's last. This is just the month of July. At St. Louis, six innings, two earned runs, 98 pitches against the Cubs. Seven and a third. Okay, that's good. There you go. Seven and a third, three earned runs, 103 pitches. Last Sunday, six innings, one run, 102 pitches. Yesterday, six and a third, two earned runs, and 99 pitches. The most pitches Garrett Cole has thrown this season, he threw 107 pitches on the 25th against the Rangers. And that game, he only lasted four and two-thirds innings, giving up three earned runs. Yankees came back to win that game on that Sunday against Texas. That, that was, he hasn't thrown more than 107 pitches this season. You know, Cole has, um, since he's been a Yankee, he has, and again, I, I don't pin this on him entirely, but I think for somebody of his stature, both in the game and in the locker room, he, I think he needs to have a voice in this. Again, unless I'm being naive here, but... Cole needs to give you more. I mean, going back to his very first season, 2020, ALDS, game five, five innings pitched, one run, gave up a home run. He left the game with the score tied at one. How does a guy who's making $34 million in a decisive game number five, how does that guy only give you five innings when he's only allowed one run? So for me... With Boone, it's not the overuse and mixing and matching the relievers. It's focused for me specifically on the way they handle Garrett Cole. And I'm not saying go out there and throw him 120 pitches every game, but when it warrants it, and they need these games. And when they took him out yesterday, the score was tied. I understand Peralta's a good pitcher. For me, I see anybody come out of that Yankees bullpen, the guy I have the most confidence in, whether facing a lefty or a righty, is Wandy Peralta. I think he's really good. But he's not as good as Garrett Cole. So that part of it I do not understand. But the Yankees did get the win yesterday. 1-800-919-3776. Taking a look at the uh, Open Championship, the 98.7 ESPN leaderboard update is presented by Glenn Fittich. Brian Harmon has given a shot back through two holes. He's at minus 11, and Rory McIlroy is actually making a run. He's at minus three today. He's at minus six overall. So McIlroy has already gained four strokes on the leader, Brian Harmon. He's in a tie for second place at six under par. 
So is Sepp Straka, the Austrian. So is John Rahm, the Spaniard. And so is Cameron Young, the kid from Westchester County. So you got four guys at minus six. They are all five shots behind the leader, Brian Harmon. Harmon is on the third hole playing with Cameron Young. That is the final pairing at the Open Championship. And that's your leaderboard update presented to you by Glenn Fittich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, the world's most awarded single malt scotch whiskey, skillfully crafted. Enjoy responsibly. Glenn Fittich Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, ABV, 40% alcohol by volume 2023, imported by William Grant & Sons, New York, New York. More on the Yankees and, and the Mets. We'll talk about the Mets at the top of the hour. Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated will join me to see where they stand about a week out from the Major League Baseball trade deadline here in 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Talk Mets, top of the hour with Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated. Mets with the rubber match of their three-game series at Fenway Park tonight against the Boston Red Sox, which you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Let's go back to the phones, though, and uh, check in with Ruben in Indiana. Hey, Ruben. Hey, how you doing? Uh, good, big how are you? Fan. Um, yeah, so I was listening to uh, you talking about uh, the Yankees and uh, Aaron Boone and his his managerial uh, decisions, and I, I'm a big fan. My brother is a big fan, so we talk all the time, and we both agree that if 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 uh, George Steinbrenner was still alive, he would have been gone two months ago. Because <laughs> uh, what what he's like you said when you were talking about how Garrett Cole is only pitching six point six six innings a game, giving up one or two runs a game and he's pulling him and and then he and then the, the bullpen is a tech, uh specifically our bullpen is is okay but it just seems like they blow the games at, at the worst moment well that's because so why don't you let him like you said you, you're paying him all this money why don't you let him pitch yeah. for the seventh and and, and 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 maybe the eighth inning and i don't mean you know, every and, game. And if you get Ruben, I don't. Is I don't that? mean. I don't mean they have to do that. I, I agree with what you're saying. No, no, I understand. I understand. Not every game, but but certain games, you know. Um, but Aaron Boone has done that historically. Uh, they had a rookie. I can't remember the guy's name. He pitched. He pitched uh, beautifully for six innings. Gave up seventy. He uh, pitched seventy-five uh, pitches. Gave up uh, three hits and one run, and he pulls them, and then they end up losing like uh, like. Five, five to two. Yeah, Ruben, thanks for the call. I think it was the Domingo Herman game you were talking about uh, right before the All-Star break where Boone, I think he had given up one hit, which was a home run, and had thrown 74 pitches. But it's not just an Aaron Boone thing. It's This is how it's done in Major League Baseball. And I'm not overly concerned about pushing rookies or young pitchers, all right? But with Garrett Cole, it's different. With Garrett Cole, I do think that he doesn't have to be at 120 every single game, but what you know, every other start, every third start, maybe he hasn't gone above 107 pitches. Let's go to Troy in South Carolina. What's up, Troy? All right, so analytics are here to stay. I mean, they've been here. It maybe Kay or Raymond they're out there that could tell us more about this. But you know, I mean, how many of these decisions he Boone actually making? You know, so Cole's throwing, yeah, even though they're throwing well, the AI said, okay, well. Based on every pitch they've thrown, it's time for them to go. So maybe that's an influence when they go in, and after that, it's a free-for-all. <clears throat> you know, it's spitting out. The analytics are saying, pitch this guy against this batter. It just rotates. I'm just curious. You know what I'm saying? How much does it actually <clears> – <throat> are their decisions based 
in the analytics and the decisions being driven at them. I think a lot, Troy, and thanks for the call. And I think that's been the biggest question about Aaron Boone since he took over as manager in 2018. The biggest question was how much of these decisions are made by Boone and how much is it Brian Cashman and his analytics department telling him? Now, I think, it, I, I, you know, this may be a, a cop-out. I, I do think it's a combination of both. I don't think Aaron Boone is, you know, has a earpiece in during the game and listening to Brian Cashman tell him exactly what to do throughout the course of a game. But I do think that it's part of a you know larger conversation, organizational philosophy. And yeah, uh, in the Garrett Cole situation, I absolutely think that the analytics play into why he's not being pushed beyond 100, 105, 107 pitches ever. Because then the other part of it is this. Yeah, on the one hand, you say, oh, you're paying this guy $34 million or $36 million a year. Why don't you push him a little bit more? But then on the other hand, you're saying we have $324 million invested in this guy, and we don't want to jeopardize that, and we want to protect our investment. So those are the two sides of it. And, and the hope is that the two sides can kind of, you know, you can navigate the two sides to the point where it's ultimately beneficial for your team. And in Garrett Cole's case, it has been. He's been really good. I would just like to see them push him a little bit more when the situation calls for it. We'll have more on this and uh, get into the Mets and where they stand next on 98.7.